I want to invite your attention to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and we want to begin reading there in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. For a little while today, I want to talk on the subject of heaven as our inheritance. Last Lord's Day, we talked about heaven as a place. We talked about the idea, or we asked ourselves the question, what will heaven be like? And John, the, Re the revelator, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave us a beautiful picture of this heavenly Jerusalem, this holy city in heaven one day. But I want to talk about one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. And that is that that place is being reserved for us if we're faithful unto death. I want to talk about the heavenly place as our inheritance. Before we do, though, at this time, let us pray. Last Lord's Day, John gave us a beautiful description from the Revelation letter of what heaven is going to be like. And just as a review to remember some of the things he talked about, about this grand place, you remember that he said, as he pictured, as he saw, as he pictured heaven, he said the foundations of the walls were massive. In fact, he said the 12 foundations, or 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb were on the 12 foundations in heaven. Then he said that there was gates, and he said that those gates were identical. And I think there's a picture there, there is a symbol there, that everyone must meet the same exact requirements in order to get in. You know, I realize people today have all manner of ideas or all manner of things that they think that will get them to heaven. Or whatever kind of life that they live, it doesn't really matter because all roads lead to heaven. But John the Revelator pictured that there were identical gates. The symbolism there, scholars tell us, is everyone has to enter in identically all the same. But then there was an angel, and the angel stood at each gate, showing that you can't do it your own way. You can't get in your own way. And then John said that the gates were made of pearl. You know, there was a beautiful symbolism there that one scholar said, it really pictures all of those that enter into heaven after they've had terrible trials in life. And the reason for that is a pearl is the result of the oyster's response to suffering. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It doesn't make any difference if you have trials in your life, if you've had difficulties in your life, because when you get to heaven, it will be worth it all. It'll be the greatest and grandest place ever imagined. It was a city four square, and that meaning that the length, the breadth, and the height are all equal. And John said that each one of those measurements, each one of those distances, measured 12,000 furlongs. And you remember that a furlong is one-eighth of a mile, so 12,000 furlongs is 1,500 miles. Do you see the picture? It's like going from Dallas to New York City, from New York City to Bismarck, North Dakota, from Bismarck, North Dakota to San Francisco, and San Francisco back to Dallas. 
But because it's a city four square, you got to go up straight up 1,500 miles and do it all over again. You want to know how big heaven's going to be? It's going to be big enough, I guarantee you that. In fact, that is 500 quintillion cubic feet. That's 500 with 18 zeros. That's how big heaven will be. And John said that there was a wall, and the wall was 44 cubits, or 218 feet. The width of the wall is not, does not matter. It is, it is not measured. It is not mentioned. Because no one will have to be, the enemy will never be able to get to us ever again. John said it was a city of pure gold, like transparent glass. He said it was a wall of jasper and gates of pearl and a street of gold. I can't imagine how beautiful heaven must be. But folks, the question is this. The question is, what do we need to do to get there? And who's going to get in? That's really the question. Before we pick up our lesson in verse 3 about this inheritance, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. we got to read verses 1 and 2 to understand who the promise is made to. Because that's what he's saying in verses 3 on. He's talking about an inheritance that is reserved, and it says, in heaven for you. The question is, who are the you? Beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, who are they? He said they're elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That's who he's talking about. What is he talking about? He's talking about being elect of God. He's talking about divine election. Now let me just say this. This is the easiest way that I can describe to you about divine election. Number one. Peter says, we are elect, the saved, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now the Bible also talks about the idea of being predestined or predetermined for salvation. Let me clarify that. The Bible does not mean this when it says that God predetermined by his foreknowledge who was going to heaven. He didn't mean that it was this guy's in and this guy's out, she's in and she's out. It was talking about a specific kind of people. And those people are obedient Christians. By his foreknowledge, those that are obedient Christians are the elect of God. But let's go further because Peter says more. He said that our election is through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is how it works, by revealing to us through the word of God what we need to do, it brings us along to our obedience to the gospel. Now watch this, because you can't have salvation without this. The Holy Spirit, through the word of God, brings us to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, folks, is the cleansing from sin, and that happens at baptism. Who are the elect of God? Peter says, I'm going to give you some real encouraging stuff here about your inheritance. Who is it going to? The elect of God. Who are the elect of God? 
obedient Christians. Who are obedient Christians? Those that were baptized for the remission of sins and live faithfully unto death. But we'll go further than that. All three that are in the Godhead are working together for our salvation. All three. You know, the Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible says, and these three are one, it doesn't mean one person. It means three personages all working together. They have the same purpose. And in reference to your salvation and mine, they are all working together in the Godhead like this. Number one, God provides the set purpose or the plan. That, that's what he said. It says, elect according to the purpose, according to the foreknowledge of God. He set the purpose. He made the plan. And that's why Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross after about six hours, and after the Bible says, knowing all things must be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. They put the sour vinegar to his lips. Then what did he say? It is finished. That's the purpose. That's the plan. That's God's part. It is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So, all three in the Godhead are working for our salvation. How? God sets the purpose. What else? The Holy Spirit separates the sinner from the sphere where he dwelt in his sins to the sphere where the elected ones are. Now, how is that possible? Not miraculously, not directly. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See the point? God provided the plan. The Holy Spirit, leading us through the word of God, brings us to the place starting where we are in sin and bringing us to our obedience to the gospel. And then Jesus Christ provides the cleansing for man through his own precious blood. Now, all of this is the divine part. And you know, a lot of people in the world, they don't deny the divine part. A lot of people say, yeah, I, I get all that. I know God did all that. I know Jesus did that. And I know the Holy Spirit through the word uh, reveals to us what we got to do. I know all that. The question is, what is your part? What is the human part? The human part is obedience. Obedience to the gospel. Now, our heavenly inheritance is for us prepared and it says, those that are begotten of God. So in other words, we talked about the elect. Who are the elect? Those that are begotten of God. Now, the word begotten, according to Mr. Thayer, means to produce again, beget again, or beget anew. In fact, Thayer further said this. It is a metaphor. What's a metaphor? The word begotten. It's a metaphor meaning to thoroughly change the mind of one so that he lives a new life and one that's conformed to the will of God. Now, does that sound like to you that you can do anything you want to do and be the begotten of God? That tells me, according to Thayer, that if I am begotten of God, 
Everything about my life has changed. All of it. Every bit of it. Every single bit of it. Now, how are you begotten? In John chapter 3, you remember when Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus? And he tells Nicodemus, except you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says, how is that possible? How can a man, when he is old, be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, you have to be born again, and it's a matter of being born of water and the Spirit. So, who are those that are begotten? They are the ones that are born again. And Jesus says, the born again ones are the ones that have been born of water and the Spirit. But let's go further. In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Tell us, Master, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that kind of like man? In other words, when the kingdom is established, and Jesus is with, the, with his disciples, that's kind of like, that's kind of a human tendency, isn't it? Who's going to get to be greatest? What's the pecking order? Who's number one? But Jesus said, he took a little child and he placed the little child in the midst of them. And he says, except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, born again in John 3. He said, little children in Matthew 18. Now, he said in John 3 that being born again is being born of water and the spirit. So all I got to do is find out what it's like or how you are born of water and the spirit. And I know exactly who Peter was talking about when he said begotten. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, the apostle Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here it is, so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, don't you see that the similarities between those three terms there? Born again, little children, new life. If you've done that, you're born of water and the Spirit. That's when you're baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You are begotten of God. Now, if you are begotten of God, then you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing. In verse 3, let's go to our text now. Let's go to verse 3 of our text. <clears throat> Peter says, Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Now the words blessed be there, it's a eulogy. You know what a eulogy is? Somebody dies. Somebody dies. And somebody gets up and eulogizes their life. So he begins, he's going to talk about this great promise of an inheritance in heaven. And he begins by praising God in a eulogy, blessed be. He praises God and gives him the praise and tells God how great he is. 
What a wonderful picture there. He said, blessed be. Now there's more. It's not just praising God. It's also marking a transition. And that is this. The transition is very important. He's going to change the theme now to that of patience and that of hope. Now, patience and hope are two things that the child of God needs to endure the hardships of life. I'm going to tell you, you cannot, you cannot go through the trials of life without hope. You can't. People put on the good face. People have the concept of this great picture of heaven. People have all manner of things that they think about. But I'm going to tell you, you cannot continue to live a faithful life through the trials of life without patience and hope. He's going to talk about something that's so great, it's going to motivate you, the child of God, to endure affliction, to endure the trials, and live faithfully unto death. That's how great heaven is. That's how great this is. Now, he says that this is a living hope. I want you to get this picture here. We're begotten of God, and we now have a living hope. Not just a hope, but a living hope. Thayer says that means it will never die. That's a promise that will never die. We'll clarify that a little bit later. So in other words, when we are born again, we are born again, we are now a living hope. We now have a living hope in our life that helps us. Now, notice, none of that would be possible without this. And you'll remember this from 1 Corinthians 15 on our Wednesday night studies. None of this is possible, Peter says, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you remember all those in 1 Corinthians 15 that were being discussed and referenced about? Paul says there are some, even though there's evidence that proves that Jesus Christ was, had raised from the dead. What was the evidence? All the people that had seen the resurrected Christ. You got all this proof. And Paul said there's still some that say there's no resurrection of the dead. You know what Paul said? If there's no resurrection, we are of all men most pitiable or miserable. You know why? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no hope. You ever heard the phrase, what if this is as good as it gets? What if this is it? What if this is it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul clearly points out that if Jesus Christ is not raised, then we have no hope of a resurrection for ourselves. And if there is no hope, we have nothing, we have nothing to keep us on the straight and narrow way. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. I want to talk about the inheritance for a little while. The inheritance here. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Those that are begotten, born again, baptized Christians, living faithfully unto death, 
Those are the ones that have a place in heaven reserved. You know, because of this great thing, we actually lay claim to the inheritance, not because we deserve it. Please don't misunderstand me. We lay claim not to the fact that we stake our claim in heaven because we've earned it or deserved it or we even have it coming to us. But we lay claim to what? The promise. In other words, the Bible tells us what we must do to be saved. And if we do that, we lay claim to the promise. Not because we're worthy, because we are not. And that promise, watch it, it's an inheritance incorruptible, it's undefiled, it will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Now, it's upon these promises that they and us can build our hopes on. You know, Paul ties together the idea of children and heirs. Let's talk about the inheritance part. You know, my kids... If Tina and I have anything when we die, it will go to the heirs or the inheritance that they will receive from us. And the reason for that is there's a connection between children and heirs. Now, notice what Paul says regarding children and heirs in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. Watch this. The Spirit bears witness with, not to and not miraculously, but with our spirit that we are the children of God. So that's the point right there. We're the children of God. Who are the children of God? Those that are begotten. And we talked about what that means. So if we are children, then Paul says we are heirs. Let's continue reading in Romans 8. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Now, i got to add a little point here. There's a comparison here. And there's an idea here. That we are heirs if we're the children of God. But if we stop being a faithful child of God, then we don't have the promise of an heir anymore. We don't have the promise of our eternal inheritance in heaven. My kids are good kids. They're not perfect kids, but they're good kids. But let me just tell you this. If one day they go off the reservation and decide to live a life that is not conducive of a child of God. And if they all of a sudden become bad kids, you know what? Me and Tina are going to spend their inheritance. Cut them off. Why not? But they're not. They're, they're faithful children. They're good kids. So when me and Tina are gone, what are they? They're an heir of whatever we have. That's the same spiritual picture we have. If you're a faithful child, then you're an heir. And that helps us to live faithfully. What's the nature of the inheritance, though? He said it's undefiled. Interesting word. Undefiled. One scholar defined it as this. It is undefiled, is immortal, it is Undying, 
It is imperishable, it is unstained, and it is pure. Now, the word undefiled in this passage is the exact same word that's found in James chapter 1 and verse 27 when it pictures a pure religion. Don't you see the difference or don't you see the connection? We have something that is undefiled if our religion is undefiled. And here it is, James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So if I keep myself undefiled, what do I have? I've got an inheritance that is undefiled too. What else? The word undefiled was used to describe Jesus too. In Hebrews 7 and 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's the inheritance that we have because of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, the Jews understood about an earthly promised land, an earthly Canaan. They understood that. But I think there's a, I think there's a picture here, too. They understood about a promised land. They understood about a literal place of Canaan on this earth. Now, that, was, that faded away. It was gone. You know why? Because it was part of the earth. But the heavenly inheritance is different. It will never fade away. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21. Now, you know, this is a great passage here because... In Revelation 21 and 27, it talks about those that are going to get in. Folks, please listen to these words. This is what John the Revelator said, recorded here, those that are going to get in. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles, the word of the Lord, by the way, or causes an abomination or a lie, get this, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Begotten. Born again. Washed in the blood. Baptized for the remission of sins. And name written in the Lamb's book of life. Those get in. That inheritance will never fade away. You know, it's, Peter understood the brevity of man's life. He talked about man's life as being grass or flower that withers. And that's in contrast to the word of God. In this very epistle, 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, it says, All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So in other words, in verse 4, he firmly establishes that God's people have something that is infinite. An inheritance that will never pass away. The passing of all the ages of time, one man said, will never change our inheritance or the beauty of the moment that we receive it. Have you ever stopped to consider that? It will never stop being as beautiful as it is when we see it for the first time. You know what else is great? If I make heaven, it will never be taken away. If I get in, 
it'll never be taken away. It'll never pass away. Peter says this place is reserved in heaven for you. Now, God is preserving the inheritance. That reservation is in heaven, not on this earth. Do you remember last week we talked about a doctrine that teaches that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to establish an earthly kingdom. He's going to refurbish the earth. That everybody that's in heaven is in heaven and nobody else is getting in. And this is going to be the place where the Lord is going to establish an earthly kingdom. All you got to do is find out what the Bible says. It's reserved where? It's reserved in heaven for you. Jesus Christ is not going to set foot on this earth ever again. When he comes back, the Bible says we will meet him where? In the air. And ever so go to be with the Lord for eternity. Where? In heaven. So it's not a matter of the Lord coming back to be with us. It's a matter of us going to live with him in heaven. And it's reserved. John 14, 1 and 2. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, Peter nor the Lord talked about an earthly kingdom or any kind of a millennium. Peter and Jesus make it clear our inheritance is in heaven. I want to make a point here. Have you ever said, I know, because I have, I have. Have you ever said, I just want to get in any way I can. And I just want to squeak in. I just want in. I just want to sneak in, squeak in, barely make, whatever. I just want in. I, I've said that. That's unscriptural. Because if I get in, in the common vernacular, we're going to blow the doors off. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, listen, for an entrance will be supplied to you. How? Barely? No. It says abundantly. Abundant entrance. Into the everlasting kingdom, it says. So if I make heaven, it's kind of like this. You know, in school you have an A, B, C, D, or F. And I remember in college, some of the classes that were difficult, we would say, well, we got a, if you got a D, we'd say, well, you got a D for done. At least it's done. It's behind you. You got through it. You got, you're, you're barely made it. Okay. That's not what heaven's like at all. It's not a matter of getting a D, a C, or whatever, or barely making it. If, it's pass or fail. If you make it in, you made it in abundantly. But if you didn't make it in, you don't make it in at all. And that's the point. Because we deserve it? No. Because if we're faithful unto death, we lay claim to the great promise that God made. And it was all possible only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. 1 Peter 1 and 5. This is also very encouraging to me. Because this is something else here. We are kept, who are kept by the power of God. Through faith for salvation, 
ready to be revealed in the last time. That word kept comes from the original Greek word that means this. It's by watching and guarding to preserve one for the attainment of something. That's according to Thayer. Here's the question, though. Who are those that are guided by or guarded by the mighty power of God? Who are those? Because here's the thing. Whoever they are, we're going to have something great. We're going to have the inheritance. Who are they? Who are those that are kept by the power of God? Who are those that have the benefits of a living hope? Verse 3. Who are those that have an inheritance incorruptible? Verse 4. And who are those that are under God's guarding, or the NIV says, shielding? That's verse 5. Who is it? Just got to say it again. Those that are begotten. Born again. Christians. Baptized into Christ. Now, once again, we have to make it very clear. There is no security that's imposed on anyone. And security is not a promise that is separate and apart from human participation. In other words, the divine part of, the divine part of election, we talked about that. But I got a part too. You got a part too. We have a part. And if we do our part, guess what? We are kept by the power of God, waiting for that inheritance one day. Now, I got to make a point here. When we talk about this, it doesn't mean at all, it does not mean that man can never fall. I am not saying any kind of a doctrine of eternal security, and I am not preaching a doctrine as a tenet of Calvinism, of perseverance of the saints. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that we have a promise and a hope, regardless of what we do, no matter what. And I'm not saying that a man could not fall because he can. Paul reminds us that it's very possible to attain the knowledge of the Lord, but turn from the commandment of God. Notice also in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What does that mean? That means if I stop being a faithful child, I don't have the inheritance. Just like I made that little crude analogy with my own kids. Jude verse 21. Here's a responsibility that we have. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for mercy and of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So the sum of the entire matter is this. There's a divine factor and there is a human factor regarding our salvation. And the next phrase in verse 5, it talks about through faith for salvation. Through faith for salvation. Salvation, Or the King James says, through faith unto salvation. And we talk about the word faith a lot. 
But the word faith in this passage is found in three other places in this chapter. It's found here in verse 5, it's found in verse 7, and it's also found in verse 9. It is defined by Mr. Thayer as follows. It is a strong and welcome conviction of belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Now, Peter is emphasizing the human part, the human factor. It's not imposed on us, nor is it salvation that cannot be affected by the lives that we live. Rather, our salvation depends on the faith that we're talking about. Now let's go to the words of Jesus. In the same book that John pictured heaven. Revelation 2 and 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And you will be tested. And you will have tribulation. How long? Ten days. But be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. I love what Joe Heisel said, I don't know, 20 years ago I heard him say this. He said the picture there, the figure there of 10 days is one short lifetime. And you know, I, I think we can pretty much do about anything for 10 days. I think we can endure just about anything for 10 days. When you look to where the end is and, and whatever you're going through is going to end, you can say to yourself, okay, 10 days, then 9 days, then 8 days, and I'm almost there. You can do that, and you can get through it. 10 days is nothing. Now, compared to eternity, one short lifetime is also nothing. There's a condition. All of the things, all that great promise, there's a condition. And Jesus said, be faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. Finally, in verse 5, it says that all this that we just talked about is going to be revealed in the last time. Now, the word revealed here comes from the word apocalypto. And it means the salvation and glory that awaits the believer, according to W.E. Vine. The word is also found in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18, I love this passage. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be what? Revealed in us. For the, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for what? The revealing of the sons of God. Now, it's going to be revealed when? In the last time. You know that phrase, last time? It's the same phrase that the Bible talks about when it talks about in the last day. Remember when Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. What day? That day. And not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. How do you demonstrate that you love the Lord? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
If you love me, keep my words. And folks, if we do that, if we're begotten of God, baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, we contact the blood of Jesus. He supplied that on the cross for us. Our sins are washed away. We're added to the body of Christ, and we live a faithful life under, under death. Guess what? We're being kept by the power of God. Isn't that great? You think you're alone? You think you feel alone? Kept by the power of God. It's reserved up here, the inheritance in heaven for you. I don't know about you folks, but I want to go. I want to go. Now, I understand, you know, Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. What he meant was it would be gain for me to go. But to live is for Christ, the work that needs to be done. So we need to work until time shall be no more or we, our lives are taken from this earth. But just to know that in heaven, there's a great place revealed and will be revealed to us on the last day. And finally, if we looked at verse 6 of this passage, it even helps us through the trials of life. It's going to get us through anything that comes our way. What? The promise of the inheritance. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.